firecrackers, it's Naomi, and welcome to the firecracker department. All right, let's do a couple of uh, firecracker shout-outs to some firecrackers in our community. First one goes out to Rebecca Marquardt, who's one of the core members. She's just an amazing human being, and she started a podcast called Gay or Nay, and you can go check that out wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also follow it on Instagram at Gay or Nay Podcast. So go on and do that. It's really cool. It's a podcast that discusses pre-Stonewall historic figures and then tries to decide were they queer or not. She's such a great host. She has such an infectious energy. And my favorite way of learning anything, she does it with humor. So go check that out. Gay or Nay podcast. My other shout out for Firecracker World goes to Real Women's Network. RealWomensNetwork.com houses so many cool films and series by women creators. It was created by Crystal Campbell, who you'll know from so many fantastic soap operas, and you'll also know because she's an upcoming guest. And also on the Real Women's Network is one of our core members, Carol Lowe, who is just such a dynamo. If you want to see some great, great films by women creators, go over to RealWomensNetwork.com. We'll also be partnering with them coming up, so you'll be able to see a film and then listen to a podcast as well. You're welcome. That came from one of our great brainstorm sessions at Firecracker Department, uh, and we have so many more. Gosh, I'll tell you what, you put these firecrackers in a room and beautiful, exciting, inspiring, action-oriented ideas are birthed. So go check them out as well. That's my Firecracker shout out to Real Women's Network. Okay, on with this episode. Holy moly, this week. Our guest this week is actor, singer, talk show host, champion of women's rights, and known to some as the Oprah of Afghanistan. It's Mujda Jamalzada. Now, to be clear, Mujda has never said, oh, I am the Afghanistani uh, Oprah. No, she never would say that. But really, she is often considered the most powerful female voice of her generation in Afghanistan and she speaks authentically, she lives authentically. She sparked groundbreaking conversations which have inspired women all over the world. In her television show, The Mojda Show, yes, The Mojda Show, she had her own television show. Honestly, my chat with Mojda, I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous because I get, I get chats with artists I get chats with like creative process. And then Mujda is not only an artist, but she's also an activist. And she speaks so passionately about what she believes in. So I was a little bit nervous. I just was. And then she gets on our Zoom call because whenever I do these uh, interviews on Zoom, I make sure we see each other so that we can see each other. And she had a cat on her bed and we were super casual. And then I just realized she's just entirely approachable. And uh, yeah. I just fell in love with her. She's fantastic. She was born in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, and her family then fled to Canada when she was just five years old. And since then, she's studied broadcast journalism and has been breaking ground on all sides of the borders. She travels extensively. She braved death threats in Afghanistan to cover subjects considered sensitive or taboo, like divorce or hijabs or child marriage or violence against women. And 
just so many topics that were taboo and she could have turned away from and yet she didn't. She stood her ground and she jumped in and she addressed these topics and she had so many people connect with her and express their gratitude for what she did. She is the first Afghani female artist to appear on The Oprah Show and perform in the White House. Yeah, she did that too. The Obamas are Majda lovers and it just so happens we are too. They have great, great taste. And when you hear this episode, you're gonna be like, of course they are. What's not to love? She's fantastic. Check out our show notes for the link to her first White House performance. She opens with a little gimme more to the audio team. And then the music turns up right before she starts to sing. And she is, I wanna say she's a treat, but she's more than a treat. She's like, like a, a meal and hors d'oeuvres and then a treat as a dessert. She's everything and then some. She has also had a novel written about her life. She's received awards internationally for her music. And recently she started in the film Red Snow, which was written and directed by fellow firecracker Marie Clements. This interview was one of, as I said, the most challenging because I really felt like I needed to know my stuff going in. And I don't know, whenever I prepare for these interviews, I always feel like I'm cramming for tests and I don't think I'll ever go, oh, I'm fully prepared. I'll always feel like I could cram a little bit more. This interview was easily one of the most eye-opening and incredible conversations I've ever had. And I can't wait to have more. And I can't wait to share this, this discussion with this multifaceted, multi-talented, mind-blowing person. So let's dive in. Here she is, Mujda Jamaldaza. With me, it's been like all of this here and then uh, crazy things that happen back home. So, uh, and then I'm getting attacked for not doing enough for, you know, um, Afghanistan and like doing too much for Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, dude, this has been 400 years. Right. <laughs> you guys have just done, you know, you guys have your civil war and you have your um suicide bombings and stuff for the past 40 years i understand but like this is a movement right now that all of us should take a part in so it's just it's it's a lot of craziness yeah you're also only one person like you're doing and even exactly. if you work 24 like, hours a day first? right yeah. i'm at my parents house quarantining you're in vancouver right now I'm actually in Richmond. Sorry, I'm normally in Vancouver. My okay. my own place is in downtown Vancouver. So I used to live in Vancouver too for like No way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually surprised. I was kind of looking wow. at people that we might like I'm surprised our paths haven't crossed. I was I was reading up about you and I was thinking on a much lesser scale, like that feeling of like making your home somewhere and making your community and then mm. leaving and feeling this really weird pull yeah. of not being able to look after your people like my family that's in Los Angeles, yeah. but having to be here. So it's always split, which is something I'm sure you've been dealing with since that's you true. were five. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling all too well. Yeah. Gosh, if I there like was ever a firecracker, it's you. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but okay. I, uh, I'm so, I, I don't even know where to start with my level of admiration for you. Not even just as an activist, but then oh, as an really? artist. And as like, God, Thank like, you. like I think about the struggle of an artist and then I think about your journey and I think it's not just enough like people going, oh, it's so hard being a singer. And I'm like, it's so hard being a singer slash activist <laughs> where you've got like people 
challenging you not to give enough attention to Afghanistan versus Black Lives Matter. Like you've got a lot. Yeah. I'm curious, what, who were the women around you as you grew up? Who were the women around you that taught you this is the path to be on? I, I think my mom and Oprah, <laughs> just, just <laughs> watching Oprah for years. And then my mom just being there, um, uh, guiding me every step of the way. I I think like my mom is just the strongest person I've ever met. But then I always think like she's strong because of my dad. Because honestly, if I had a dad, like a typical Muslim Afghan man that would, you know, um, oppress the women in, in his household, I'm sure that my mom couldn't make a move no matter how strong she was, you know? So uh, I, I think all the credit goes to my dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as a child, do you see elements of the person you are today that you saw as a child? Like, did you start, yeah. did you start movements as a child? I'm imagining you with I did. Yeah. I actually Tell did. Me. I was <laughs> So when I was young, uh they put me in preschool uh in Afghanistan. I must have been four or something. And the teacher throws a doll at me and then shoves my chair in. It's like, here's your doll, play. I'm like, what the f- you want me to do with this? <laughs> what am I what am I supposed to do with the doll? And so I chucked it back and then I started crying. And then the teacher called my parents and she's like, you know, this, your daughter's crazy. Like, she's just not playing. Like, look at all the other kids. I give them the doll. It was like a girl's, you know, all the girls, like I give them the doll and they get busy playing with their doll and pretending to have a baby and all that. And she's like, what's wrong with your daughter? Like, Why is she not playing like normal kids? Mm-hmm. And so they took me out of preschool. Then they um, put me into kindergarten. Um, I think, no, they, they put me into kindergarten and grade one where like now I I was being challenged you know I was being taught the alphabet and the, the numbers and the, like um just just basics but at least I was learning I don't know if that was kindergarten or grade one I forgot but basically I was doing something other than being forced to play with dolls it's just not my yeah. thing and then um and, and so that helped uh and then I think I was in grade I was, I was in that grade and I was writing. Um, no, I was in the first grade. I was writing. Um, and the teacher came in like, um, she basically, uh, slapped me over there. They, they, at that time they could hate you, right? Yeah. They could, like physically hit you. And so every time I was writing with my left hand, I was left-handed too, which was another weird, unaccepted thing. Right. So now in grade one, I'm being attacked by a teacher for writing with my left hand. So every time she would, like I would write with my right hand and then as soon as she would turn around, I would switch, but then she would catch me. She'd come from behind and she'd take the ruler and slap my hand. And so it, and it hurt so bad. And so my dad came in one day and no, she called my parents in again. Another teacher called my parents in because she's having issues with me. <laughs> and she's like, your daughter is just, not behave. She's not listening to what I'm, uh, what I'm asking her to do. She's using her left hand. It's wrong to use your left hand. And so she's just like, you tell your daughter to behave herself and listen to me. And all of a sudden my dad went nuts. No, they dealt people. with the wrong parent. You tell my daughter, <laughs> you mess with the wrong parent. Cause clearly I come from them. So, yeah, right. you know, if I'm going to be weird, definitely my parents are too. Right. <laughs> my dad just like, and, and I'm looking at him because I was so scared. I was like, oh my God, this teacher called my parents and I'm going to be in so, because as, as a child, you don't know, yeah. right? No. Um, 
And so I'm like, now if the teacher hits me with a ruler, my dad's probably going to hit me with, you know, he's probably going to punch me or something. So I was so scared. And all of a sudden my dad's just going crazy on this teacher. And I'm like, yes, go dad, go. <laughs> and he's like, you are never going to tell my daughter which hand to use ever again. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And then um, the same teacher told me a couple weeks later, um, she was talking about uh, Islam, you know, the religion obviously Islam. Um, and she's like, well, you can't question Islam. Uh, like whatever is said in the book, in the holy book, whatever uh, the prophet says, whatever I tell you that the book says, like you have to listen. And so she's reciting something, a, a verse, or she was saying mm -hmm. something like, as a Muslim, you have to do this, this, this. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. And she comes up to me. And she's just like, did you just question the Quran? Did you just question our religion? And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. Can you explain it? Oh my and she's gosh. like, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. You just have to do it. So I'm thinking, well, why did God give me a brain? Because now my brain is questioning. But if I were to not question, like if I was right. told not to question anything, then God would have not given me the ability to question this. I can't stop myself from questioning um, this, you know, what you're saying. And yeah. so I was. I was so confused at like maybe I was six or oh five or six and I'm confused and I'm like, well, but I can't help but question. Like, how can I stop myself from yeah. questioning this? Even and then I and then she's like, Well, you're not a true Muslim if you question the words of God. I'm like, but then why did he give me a brain? So yeah. Um, since I can remember. and then in high school when I was here, I would um I would stand up against teachers who were racist against other kids. I would stand up to bullies. I would stand up to kids who were littering like the school and damaging and vandalizing the school. So yeah, it's always been there. It's just something I do. I mean, it seems like it's part of your, your makeup now. Like there's, this is something that some people are learning to speak up. Like we're in a time right now that actually mm -hmm. people are finding their voices to speak up about what is yeah. wrong and right. But it's just something that's natural. I mean, I had a sticker collection at the age of seven. You stood up for your rights. So, I mean, we all, I didn't, I mean. We all learn like, in different days. Sure. Yeah. I was, I don't think my voice was, was led through my sticker collection. I don't think that was a powerful movement that I was creating. Okay, but Naomi, like, let's, um, in your defense, though, you didn't have to deal with the teacher that was beating you with the ruler uh, for using oh. your left hand. Also, you didn't have to deal with someone telling you that you have to believe everything that a, a book says. You're right? absolutely right. And thank you for coming to my defense again. <laughs> You're yeah. even coming to mine. But I would say, like, <laughs> there was injustice in our world forever. There, like, you can't yeah. leave the house without seeing some forever. sort of injustice. And the choice of turning Absolutely. away or turn or diving into it is something we all do. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I dive into it, which is not always the smartest, safest <laughs> thing to do. Well, I'm surprised no. I'm still alive. I mean, that's not even that's not even a joke because you've had death threats. Like I'm so we're we're sort yeah. of jumping all over your timeline, but I I, I don't care. I just want to talk to you because I think you're so fascinating. <laughs> but like the time that you've had Thank death you. threats for your talk show, like mm -hmm. you must be comfortable with being, I, I don't want to say in fear, but comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's natural. It, it's not something that you learn. It's not something that you force yourself to do. You just, uh, journalists 
do say to me like you're either stupid or you're either really stupid or really brave and I'm like well a bit of both because like if you're you know you can't just be completely I I don't know how I'm wired but I know I'm wired differently and I take advantage of that the fact that I'm wired differently um I, I got death threats right when I started singing, but I was in Canada. I was like, what are you going to do to me? I'm in Canada. Then I moved back, back to Afghanistan. The death threats come a little bit more, become a little bit more real. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and I'm, I'm still thinking in my head, okay, well, if somebody wanted to do something to me, they wouldn't actually threaten to do it. They would just do it. <laughs> so the threats just became a little bit less, but then you never know. You just never know. And um, when I was in Afghanistan, I do admit that I sometimes was feeling that fear and I had the gun under my pillow and I did train professionally to use a gun and um, I had 25 bullets in there because I was like if a couple people come and if I miss I want to make sure that I have enough to you know so this is my this is the way that I had prepared myself and I had you have to be prepared for any situation and I know you're known as the Afghanistan Oprah which I think is like, I actually think at the end of, end of the, this huge honor. Sure. But I, I also think, I think she would be, be, be okay with standing behind the idea of being the American uh, Mazda. I think she'd be okay with that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, well, <laughs> that's funny. But like the idea of you, like she doesn't have a gun underneath her pillow. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that made me envious. I, yeah. Every time, every time somebody compares me to Oprah, I, I love Oprah. And I just, I think it's such an honor that, you know, the media started calling me the Oprah of Afghanistan because I don't even, um, I would never compare myself to Oprah. I mean, no, she is not, a legend, but yeah, it's not like it's a title you gave time, yourself. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I am not. Uh -uh. But at the same time, I'm like, but Oprah doesn't sleep with a gun under her pillow and she gets paid way more and she's more like she's able to talk about things openly without getting threats all the time. And it's just I'm like, I wish I had the environment like I wish I was in that kind of environment so that so that the show could progress so that I could continue doing what I was doing and, and wouldn't be forced out of the country or wouldn't be forced to stop my show. You know, it was just um, no matter how much I tried, I still felt defeated in the end because they forced me out and they forced the show, they shut the show down. And every day there was a problem with the government and every day there was a problem with like the restrictions and the rules. Oh, you didn't wear the, your hijab properly. You didn't, um, you talked about a subject that's like really taboo. Like you have no right to talk about divorce. There's a lot of things. There were a lot of obstacles to the point where you're just exhausted and you're still doing it, but then they shut you down finally yeah and then you have nothing and you're like what happened and that it was really hard so when they were saying Oprah I'm like I wish I could have had that environment I couldn't mm -hmm. I wish I was able to you know, do that how do you how did you navigate through that time so you had um, a talk show in um, Afghanistan for is it five years how long were you there? No, it only, it, it lasted about two, two, two and a half years. Okay. I, I was there for three. Um, okay. Then I was moving to another TV station. And then when they shut you down, I know that must have been really devastating for you because it, it wasn't just a show. Very. It's not just like a, a sitcom. It's what you believed in and you were actually making room for mm -hmm. change. So how did you navigate through that I, chapter of your life? And I, I was seeing the difference it was making. The hardest yeah. thing was when the woman in the audience 
their families. It was just families, like with the grandpas and the kids and the, you know, from, from the toddlers to the grandparents were all coming. And these women would come and hug me and they'd be like, please don't stop. Just don't stop this. Like, keep it going. And I felt like I disappointed all of them. Um, but it wasn't me. I would have never stopped. It was just, you know, it was forced. And I think they knew, but, but at the same time, I felt like I disappointed so many people, like so many people. And all of these women who were telling me like, you know, their husbands stopped beating their kids, their husbands stopped abusing them. Uh, they would tell me all of these things. And it was just, it was so gratifying. I'm like, what I'm doing is worth it. All the death threats, the fear, the, um, the uncomfort, uh, it's all worth it because I'm making a difference. And it, some of these men, all they had to do was just hear, just hear that, oh, wait, you don't have to beat your kid. He'll listen to you if you just talk or she'll listen to you if you just talk nicely. You don't have to beat the, the goodness out of them, you know? So when, when I was saying those things, they were, some of these people were actually realizing it. That's all they needed was just somebody to like bring that up and tell them. And when did you know you could have a strong voice as an artist? Because I know you went into broadcast journalism, uh, but then you discovered that your words could have an impact through music. What was that phase like for you? Uh, I, th I think that, um, well, it was my, and the reason that I got into journalism is I, was, I really wanted to study law. <laughs> and the reason I got into journalism and music and all of it is because one day my dad just said media is the most powerful tool in the world if you want to make a difference you want to make a change and that time social media wasn't really around mm -hmm. media was and he's like media is the most powerful tool that you can use to make a change and i was like huh and it's just like ding you know something um something happened and i was mm -hmm. like well i don't really know it much about music but i could try to learn and that's when i started taking like oh. singing lessons and you just so happened my to dad like wrote an the lyrics well, how convenient. No, no, no. <laughs> that was a lot of singing lessons. <laughs> a lot of money went into those singing lessons until I finally learned a few notes and a few keys I could hit. And um, well, I, then my dad wrote these, these lyrics, you know, with, with the girls um, walking home from school and the acid attack. And, you know, I, uh, he wrote these beautiful lyrics. I turned it into a song and boom, I'm in the White House singing it. Like, oh my God, my dad was right. The media is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been a real head turning. Now, did you get addicted to that kind of, um, I don't know, that must have really flipped you on your, flipped you on your butt. Yes. <laughs> did you get, right? And then after that, you're like, well, where, where do we go from there? Usually people work up to that kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Thank you for bringing that up because I, I was clueless as to what to do next. I'm like, what? Like, my, I, I was obsessed with Oprah. I was obsessed with the Obamas. I met all of them. Um, I think the Obamas at the White House and that performance at the White House topped anything that I could ever do in my life. And it happened so quickly. And I'm like, well, now what? Yeah. Even Oprah wasn't as big. Like I went to the Oprah show after and I'm like, this still doesn't beat the White House. You know? So I was just like, what can I do in my life now to like beat that? Because really, how do you surpass something like that after like, you know, especially when it happened so quickly. So I had given myself eight years because I knew this man would win when he was, uh, when he was running. And then I knew he was going to win a second time. So all of that I already knew before. Uh, 
and and I gave myself eight years. I'm like, I'm going to give myself eight years to meet this man. Even if I'm in the back of the room um, with a thousand people in front of me, I still want to be in the same building as him while he's speaking. And next thing I know, I get an email like eight months after I made this wish, like then he became president. And then all of a sudden I get this email, like, would you like to perform for the Obamas? And I'm like, wait, what? Right. And suddenly you're not at the back of the room. You're actually performing at the front of the room. I'm I'm in the blue room taking a photo with them and chatting with them and shaking their hands. And it's like the most incredible feeling ever. And I'm just like, okay, nothing ever in my life is going to top this. You just got to be realistic. I mean, I feel like you have such a a strong point of view and such a, a strong heart with your activism journey. I can't imagine you doing anything as an artist that didn't have a background in activism. You know, like even like your performance in Red Snow, like that's a beautiful, also, you just happen to be a fantastic actor. Like all these things that just kind of like- No, that was all Marie. I'm not going to- She's a fantastic director. Mm -hmm. But, But- Oh, I'm just saying that casting is a lot, but it does take, like, you have great stage uh, screen presence. Um, but do you think Thank you would you. ever, like, the crossover between artist and activist, like, that seems like a natural combo for you. And I don't think you can pursue artistry without activism. Do you think you could? Mm-hmm. Me, personally, no. I, the reason no. I got into, yeah, the, re- the reason I got into music in the first place was because I wanted to make a difference Mm -hmm. it wasn't for fame it wasn't for anything that it wasn't for money like I still don't understand why people ask me for for my autograph or a picture I don't get it but um when I see famous people other than the Obamas and like you know some of my favorites I wouldn't I wouldn't really ask for a photo I just I don't know it doesn't make none of it makes any sense to me yeah I just think I I mean you must like it was purely active yeah and you must um, carry that with you? Like, how do you carry the weight of your activism role with you as you go through? Like, like what we were saying at the beginning, this 24 hours a day, you have to look after a lot of countries <laughs> and there's only one person. So how do you deal, how do you deal with that weight? Ah, oh, how do I deal with that weight? Um, I think I get a lot of my strength and energy from my mom, my parents. Like as soon as something happens, I go and tell them and then they give me advice on what to do and how to handle things. My dad writes notes, like he's my main advisor for everything. I'm like, what do you think? You know, how should I deal with this situation? And right away, they solve the problem. And right away, they tell me what to do and how to handle it. And they're always right. And people love it. Like whatever, whatever I do, just recently, I had a couple of lives. I came on live and you know, hundreds of thousands of views. Um, and I, I have the power to get these people, like these amazing people to listen to me and to watch. And, you know, then I have to say the right thing though. So then that I, that's why I have to go through people who actually know what I should say. Like, it's not always me telling them. So I, I take different angles depending on like the situation. And I'm, the thing is like, my heart is in the right place. I'm always there for for the people and it's not for my own gain it's for for their gain and so I'm always thinking of them and they know that and I love that they know that so it's not really that heavy sometimes it gets heavy like what happened with the current situation it's getting really heavy it's taking a toll on me I can feel it now um the past couple of days I think for the past week I felt very heavy and to the point where you know I'm not even sleeping 
as comfortably or as well as I, I was before. So sometimes this happens. And then what's your journey around that? Because I feel like, I mean, probably to maybe a lesser extent, a lot of people feel that kind of fatigue. But how do you, how do you adjust to keep going? Um, it, it's hard. I take a mental break. It's very important to take care of yourself. You know, it's, it's like I always give that example of the, uh, the airplane when they say, like, put your own mask on before you put somebody else's because you got to take care of yourself first. Like, you got to be okay in order to do anything for somebody else. And so I always have that mentality. Like, as soon as I feel a little bit heavy, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a mental break. I'm going to go out in the backyard in my parents' house and just, like, enjoy the sun, get some vitamin D, relax my mind, read my favorite book, and then regroup, and then come back and deal with um, that situation. So it's very important to take that time to like mental, take, take care of yourself mentally yeah. and physically. And, and the pressure also to, to lead with your actions must be great, because there are so many eyes on you. There are so mm -hmm. many people that you have the ability to impact. Have you ever had an experience where, I don't know, like I feel like, you know, again, to a way lesser extent that, you know, with a podcast, I feel like it can reach. And I've listened to your podcast, by the way, uh, your Girls oh, of thanks. Wisdom. I love it. You start this awesome, podcast thank you. and then this pandemic starts and then you're like, in. you're like diving deep right away. Yeah. Really great. Girls and then this, you know, this situation happened. We did a social justice episode just last week, uh, just between me and my friend Sophia. So uh, I love the podcast. I love having the podcast so that we can discuss all these things. And then yeah. I love going live with my mom on Facebook because we can discuss all the issues that are happening. Yeah. Um, and then yesterday I was so mad. Like I just, not yesterday, when was it? Um, a couple of days ago, I was so angry and I just like, I... I was like, okay, well, it's overwhelming. There's too much stuff. People are misunderstanding my posts. Like I have to go back on. And my mom's like, yeah, just go. And I locked myself in this room and I just like vented, you know, I went live on Instagram. I yeah. vented. Are you ever worried about saying the wrong thing? Of course. But um, if you mean well, I think, I think just the fact that I mean well, I know that, you know, people understand that. and. And I'm always looking at an angle where the people benefit. So I never take a side of a group that's like, I, I mean, it, it's hard to explain, but you just, you're, I, I'm very real when I talk, mm -hmm. very true, like true to myself and very real and very honest. I never hide anything. And I think that's, that's what people appreciate. And so in the times you said you, you were misinterpreted for some of the postings that you've done, how have you dealt with that kind of misinterpretation? Uh, the fact that I can come live and explain it further, that always helps. Uh, or just, you know, if like, a, you can't, you can't please everyone. I'm not here to please everyone because everyone has their own opinions and ideologies and, and ways. And so I always like, I come on when I talk to everyone, I'm like, listen, if you guys want to curse me out, go ahead. If you want to, uh, if you want to like say I'm wrong, you have the right to say that. Like you're entitled to your own opinion. So I always say that to people. And I think yeah. they just like, it helps maybe calm them down too. I think sometimes when people are cursing me out on social media, there's a lot of trolling, a lot of, you know, everybody's dealing with this stuff. And on a, on a smaller scale to like 
really larger scale, like people are dealing with this. And the thing is that it doesn't bother me, but I know that those people who are doing that, um, and I tell my fans too, I'm like, they must be in a bad place right now. When you're in a bad place, you can't see anything positive. And so I'm like, it's actually that person and I, I feel bad for them. So it doesn't affect me if they're cursing me out or if they're uh, saying horrible things to me, that doesn't affect me and it doesn't lower my confidence in myself or doesn't affect me in any way um, emotionally or mentally. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this person must be having a bad day. Maybe they're in a bad relationship. Maybe they're just in a bad situation. And maybe, maybe some of them are just straight trolls and there's nothing you can do about that, but I'm not going to let that affect me. <laughs> but can you not like, that's a very, you're, you're very compassionate, empathetic, but it doesn't belittle the impact of somebody, you know, throwing their negativity and their venom at you. Or are you able no, to just actually, put a screen again, up? I think I'm just wired. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm just wired differently that way, but I, I want other people to be like that too. I want other people to be like me. <laughs> Because it I doesn't, mean, we, it, it it's doesn't like affect a, me at all. Putting a, it's the, it's the screen around you, right? It's like, like an armor, an armor of some sorts. But then like, this is uh -huh. one of the things I find most, um, I find so beautiful about you is that, that you have gone through things like death threats and trolls and um, mm -hmm. challenges beyond most people's. And yet there's mm -hmm. a lightness to you that I'm so enamored with. And I, I, I need to get the recipe of whatever you have <laughs> in the morning, whatever you've got in your smoothie. Uh, because I think you're right. It, there's a makeup within you, but I think that it's um, a learned makeup. Like I think it's muscles that early on in your life, you learned how to stand up for not playing with a doll if you don't Maybe. want to. And I'd love to, yeah. you know, even as you approach the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, can we learn that muscle now? Yes, absolutely. Because I've learned a lot of it now. I'm not going to say like nothing affected me. I, I think that you can use the experiences in your life to, um, to, to learn from, never think of them as failures, never think of them in a negative way. Like whatever happened to you, a lot of people dwell on the past. They look at the past, like, what if I had done this? What if I had done, forget that, forget all of that. What a waste of precious energy just move forward and think what you can do in the future. And if you make another mistake, again, it's another learning experience. I'm all for it. Um, at the same time, I've, when I make decisions, it's, it's very important for um, humans to have control over their minds, have control over your emotions and your, um, and you know, your mental state and just everything, because um, it, it's really easy for humans to like lose that, lose that control. And once you lose that control, you become vulnerable. So never allow yourself to become vulnerable. It's actually really like, it, um, it's almost like you have to train yourself because I did have to train yeah. myself to be very positive to, um, it, it, it's like working out in the gym. It's exactly the same way. You, you kind of do it every day, little by little, you know, just comfortably, yeah. as comfortable as you are. And eventually it becomes a natural thing. It was like opera. I went to my opera class when I was learning, um, when I was, uh, you know, taking vocal lessons, like they said, oh, if you take opera, it'll be better, like for you to be able to sing any note, um, hit any note. And I was like, okay, I walked in, I was about to cry. I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm still really young and vulnerable. And I was like, this isn't working. I suck. And then all, all of a sudden I was just like, no, Mujda, don't, 
think you like, don't think that way, you know, don't disrespect yourself. And right away, like I had trained myself not to be mean to myself, like, no, be kind to yourself. That's the first step, like loving and respecting yourself is like a number one thing for me. And then right away, I realized it when I say, Oh, my God, that was so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, I just retract from all of it. And then the teachers like, listen, in five months, this is going to be all so natural to you. You won't even believe it. And I trusted her. And I was like, all right, fine. Let's see what happens. In five months, she was right. I was just belting it out. And I was like, you can do the same thing with your emotions. You can do the same thing with your mental state. You can do the same thing with like your life, your life. You can train yourself, you know, and you could have that control over your own life. And so I've gotten to a point where, um, maybe about six years ago, I decided I didn't want to argue with anybody. I didn't want to hear anybody raise their voice at me. And I didn't want to raise my voice at anyone. It's been six years since I made that decision. And I've never had any arguments with my parents, with my, like anybody around me, because I made that decision. Because I'm able to control every situation so that it doesn't lead to that. Even if I have to say, I'm sorry, when I'm not wrong, just to (laughs) avoid any argument. But it's so easy. I'm like, well, you know, that I avoided something that could have gotten pretty ugly. Well, I mean, and you it's have just you basically have having that control. Though. You have two mm-hmm. brothers, so that would must be challenging not to argue. <laughs> no, it's basically me and my mom. Like, it's challenging not to argue with my right. mom. We're right. both fire signs. Right. Um, we could both be very stubborn, and so I had to learn to. Um, reduce my stubbornness just to avoid any arguments with her and but you know, tell me tell me the exercise like you said you said early on like you said I'm not going to argue anymore so when you first made that decision <laughs> and you would feel the impetus be like I'm raising my voice here I go would you just like have yep. like a little person sitting on your shoulder telling you like oh remember the promise <laughs> you made to yourself would you give yourself yeah, a little pretty much. like, <laughs> like slap on it's the wrist? basically just a reminder yeah, right. every day it's the reminder. Like, remember, you said you weren't going to say anything bad about yourself. Remember, you weren't going to argue with people anymore. Remember, you're going to. So, this, yeah, this little man sitting on my shoulder, just telling, reminding me of all the stuff I've, I promised to myself. Yeah. I can't really <laughs> believe silly, that it's a little. No, it doesn't sound silly at all. I just don't <laughs> believe that it's a little man at this point. Probably not. I think it's probably a little you nah. that is like your inner yeah. dialogue. Yeah, definitely. It's a little, little mushy in there. Yeah. A little mushy. Yeah, in the back of my head. <laughs> and so now like, is there anything that pushes you to that, to that place? Cause there's so much injustice uh, to, that you face daily. Uh, in the beginning, I think we, I was very sensitive and emotional um, when I would see pain in the world. When I see people going through pain, when I went to Afghanistan, I was like, if I don't control my emotions, if I don't control myself, I will lose my mind and I will not be able to, I won't be a help to anybody, including myself, if I continue allowing this to get to me to this level. Just seeing these, um, these kids on the streets begging, just seeing the, just the situation there in general, it, it would have driven me crazy. Like I would have been in, I would have been done. But um, so at that point, I had to make the decision of, you have to kind of harden yourself in order to survive that. And so I felt like I had to, as much as I didn't want to, I had to, I had to harden myself. But again, you have the control to do that. 
Um, what I what I want people to know, especially women, is we are very strong. Like when we put our minds to something, nothing's impossible. And I've seen it for myself. I mean, um, just the things that I've done, the things that I've been able to control. Um, it's amazing. It's like it's like a secret superpower. Like why not? Why not use it? It's really great. Yeah, and then don't you find it funny? I've artist, never talked about any of this before. Oh, really? <laughs> I just, yeah. I honestly like. I'm so. See, even now I'm getting tongue tied. But I, I feel like there's like so much to talk about in the world, and we don't have enough time or enough spaces to actually try out this language to cover everything. Yeah, and yeah. to cover everything. So now we're in a time where we are testing the waters out with new dialogue, new vocabulary, you know, and it's not easy mm -hmm. and we're making mistakes. And as you said, like, we're only human, so we have mm -hmm. to make mistakes. Yeah. But then like, and it's okay. Is it? I don't know. I get don't ripped down on, on myself like, when I, I make mistakes. No, that's the whole thing is like, yeah, we are human. We are not perfect. We do make mistakes, but we can't be hard on ourselves for the mistakes. When's the last time you made a mistake that you were like, ooh, that sounded not great? Oh my gosh, all the time. I, I, there's, too, there's too many. Like, just, I, but I, I just brush it off and let it go and I just move on. <laughs> That's that armor you're talking about. So then I, as an artist, because you know, you're, you're singing from your heart, right? You can't, I don't mm -hmm. think people can sing because the breath is connected to your heart without connecting. So then suddenly you have to be like, I'm going to take yeah. the armor off. I'm going to do this beautiful film, Red Snow, without my armor. Yeah. And, then, and then on lunch breaks, oh. I'm going to put it back on. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't even that. I couldn't. During that time, that was the one time I couldn't. Yeah. That must um, have been exhausting. While we were, while we were filming that, that movie, oh my gosh. I mean, the things like the way that Marie had written that script, it was so similar to my family's story except I'm sitting there as Katera um, during one scene talking to Dylan. Katera is talking to Dylan uh, explaining how her mom was once a teacher and she was killed by oh she uh, her and um, her parents met in university when such things were possible mm -hmm. uh, at that time and then she she explains how like her mom was killed by the Taliban because she was teaching underground she was teaching girls um, against, you know, obviously it was illegal and they killed her. And so I'm saying all of these lines and in my mind, I'm like, my parents met in university. My dad was my mom's professor. Uh, they were both in Kabul, the same place. Like the whole story is just playing out, except I'm looking at my mom. She's standing right there with me, like behind the scenes. And I'm like, my mom's here. And then I got so emotional hours and hours after that scene was done, the emotions were there. And then I put on the burqa because, you know, I had to put on. So this, I, I put on the burqa that my mom used to escape Afghanistan. And I had a mental breakdown. Yeah. So these are the things that I, I could not, no matter, I mean, in those cases, no matter how strong, and I know I'm a very mentally strong person for that to have happened to me. Um, it just means we're human, like no matter how much we try to keep ourselves strong, the fact that um, I, when I put on that burqa, I'm like, I've been fighting for women's rights for years and I have never actually put on a burqa to know how it feels like to put myself in these women's shoes. And now I'm feeling it out in the heat, 36 degree weather. Um, I'm putting on this burqa and I can't breathe. I can't see, I can't walk, I can't move. So 
for the first time, I'm thinking, this is what women are going through every day in Afghanistan and some Muslim countries. The oppression and that, it, it's like you're in jail. It's even worse than jail because you're just basically like covered. Um, the fact that my mom had to wear it to escape, all of these things just came rushing mm. into my uh, my mind and I had a mental breakdown and Marie had to call cut. And I'm like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And they thought, oh, maybe it's hot. Maybe, you know, she ran out of breath. But when they lifted the um, the veil part, uh, they gave me water and I just like drank the entire thing. And now I'm like crying, but I'm like um, hyperventilating. And I'm like, what is happening to me right now? Yeah. I couldn't even explain what was happening to me. So there were a lot of moments in that movie, like while filming that movie where things got crazy, like for me emotionally. Mm-hmm. and it was just the human side of me coming out so that armor was gone during that shoot and of yeah. course it's because you're acting you're putting yourself in that person's uh position and you can't you can't have that armor it's not going to work that way so that's why I think I was I was more vulnerable than I normally am yeah but it also feels like when you do speak up for women's rights that armor I don't that armor cracks a bit because you don't speak without emotion. You don't speak without connection to your heart. But I have to speak logically at the same time, though. I have to be logical. And I can't use, I can't just, you know, have all emotions. Because um, you just got to see the reality of it. And if I'm emotional, I'm going to curse out a lot of people. And I'm going to curse out a lot of gods and a lot of, you know, a lot of things that are just... Or even my own fans would not appreciate. So yeah. <laughs> just hold back. <laughs> yeah. And then nobody's going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be like, she's lost her mind. She's crazy. We're not going to listen to her. <laughs> it's a, it's a journey. This, uh, this incredible journey. Do you ever, do you ever get defeated by it? Yes. Again, I'm human. It happens. It's just uh, nice But I pick myself do, up. I'm, I mean, just like, talking to people like you and firecrackers that I have spoken to that we all sort of put on this pedestal of, of superhuman, you know, looking at what you portray Mm -hmm. in the media and in your songs and in your work. And you think, Oh, she never flounders. She, she just has this vision and she's just off to the races. So knowing that we all, (laughs) right. It's unrealistic. I get it. But yeah, (laughs) you know, you're human, as you said. Yeah, because you you see what we w- want you to see. I'm not gonna, you know, be in a vulnerable state and an emotional state and come live and just let it all out. Because again, people are gonna be like, she's lost her mind. So, but it happens. Like I said, we're human, and like I said, the last week has been so heavy for me. It's been so heavy, so overwhelming. It's really gotten me. Um, I think when I watched the clip, like when I watched George Floyd. Um, that clip like I was avoiding it I was trying to avoid it but when I finally got myself to watch it I bawled just bawled like I I could I just let go I just cried and cried but I didn't just cry for George Floyd I cried for every black person that has gone through you know anything that they've gone through and I've always been a defender of uh, black uh, black lives and black lives matter like I've always been I've I've studied Black history on my own. I've studied uh, what Black people, what Indigenous people, like this is all stuff I studied on my own, not in school. 
uh, even like the Holocaust. I studied it on my own and I was never able to get a proper answer from any of my teachers because I was like, why did this happen to, to the Jews? Why did Jewish people have to suffer like this? And they didn't have an answer. And they would give the history lesson. They would say, okay, Hitler did this. I'm like, well, what was the reason? Why was it the Jewish people that he attacked? Like they never had an answer. So I had to find my own answers. Like I've had a lot of questions about a lot of things in the world and no one's been able to give me an answer and I have to like search for myself. And I've been trying to do that with slavery, with um, a lot of things that happened in Afghanistan against the Hazara uh, ethnic ethnicity. Why did the, uh, why were they tortured so much for centuries? And it's just like so much pain and suffering in the world. And why are humans inflicting so much pain on another on other humans just because of their race or their culture or the way they look or um just all of it um and it, it's something that i'm i'm struggling with i always struggle with trying to understand yeah that's part I, of the journey um, mm -hmm. did you come up with any answers it's tough yes um in in one case well not not like a definitive like an actual answer to <laughs> i just need just solve every answer. single yeah, problem that would be great <laughs> um i definitely think in in some cases it is uh the fear of i think uh insecu insecurity in humans causes a lot of pain or it inflicts pain on others because of the insecurity that those particular humans have i know that the hazaras have been tortured and attacked and you know not been given the right to go to school or educate themselves because they are a very strong ethnicity they're very mentally strong they're also very intelligent very high iq um they're very good so i think that to try to uh stop them from advancing and taking over the country basically they've always been um what do they call it like they've been forced to just uh, keep their you know just as slaves and as servants and nothing more they've not been given the chance to educate themselves and further um further themselves and so now that they are finally getting the that uh opportunity they have kind of taken over <laughs> so when i went back to afghanistan and i walked into the tv stations and some of the biggest tv stations there everybody was like the Hazara ethnicity and damn they're they're very progressive very forward-thinking very intelligent wow so when I see that you know even with the Jewish people um they could have very well taken over the world <laughs> again it has a lot to do with their tight-knit communities like supporting each other all that stuff like I think when when people see that uh some humans uh, allow that insecurity to take over and they'll they'll try to stop those people from progressing my own personal um personal issues with other singers for example like trying to uh, stop me from progressing because they're afraid maybe that i might progress too far uh so i've had personal situations like that so it's just it's the insecurity in humans that's one answer um and you know i've i've tried to come up with other other answers as well for myself just to kind of say okay well this was the reason but there's never any good reason for any human to inflict pain no. on another human no i mean lacking lacking knowledge 
lacking intellect, lacking um, a lot of people that I know that are racist, they haven't had a proper education. They haven't been out in the world. They haven't, they're not worldly. They're very, they're very narrow-minded and they've only seen a very small corner of their own little circle in the world. And they don't realize like they don't, they can't see the wider picture or the bigger picture ever. So, you know, you just see the lack of knowledge in them. You're like, Oh, what do you expect from a person like that? Who has never seen anything beyond their own little corner yeah it's breaking that cycle right it's like i understand where you've come from but i you know and i have people in my world that are homophobic and sometimes racist and i understand that that was their upbringing so i understand that's their schooling Mm -hmm. but i don't understand being in 2020 and holding on to that schooling when you can see around you 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 can't but have you noticed i mean yeah but but I mean we're seeing it with our own eyes. Yeah, this shit is not gonna. Sorry, I, I don't mean to. Curse, no, swear it up. This is not gonna be tolerated anymore. <laughs> I mean, with social media, with the world becoming smaller and smaller through through our access to everything mm-hmm. through the internet, like people are getting smart and people. Are, my one of my best friends, she says, "Well, my grandma's racist," <laughs> and you know she she has like a, a black boyfriend and. It's just things are things are changed now. So even her grandma couldn't in uh, couldn't influence her that way because like we have a broader picture of everything and, and now and you can see they're like this is what don't don't f with um, this generation or something like that. Like everyone's saying like these you're not gonna get away with what you've gotten away with all this time. Like look at yeah. the protests that are happening around the world, the things that are happening. So we can see that change coming yeah you can't avoid it there's like social media and media itself like that grandmother must read magazines and in magazines there are there's diversity represented now whereas her day there wasn't so she she, it's it's there it's there to be educated she has to accept it yeah exactly she has to accept it and if she doesn't accept it her granddaughter's gonna accept it and be okay with it so yeah yeah, we i definitely i feel so hopeful I'm so optimistic about the future. And I know that these, these kinds of, I mean, this is a revolution. I know yeah. that this is much bigger than even what Martin Luther King days um, had happening and stuff. So I, I want that momentum to keep going until, yeah. until they finally surrender until all of these, you know, races just surrender and be like, all right, all right, you guys win. Like we're all in this together. These, this young generation, um, we're all for gay rights. We're all for like, you know, uh, minority rights like just women's rights like all of these all of, we're, we're all standing up and I feel like we're all activists mm-hmm. I do too our own somebody said media, to me the other day that they they weren't an activist and I'm like you have to be you can't <laughs> cutie um just, just sorry the the audio just you know there's a cat it's not moksha making cat noises <laughs> it's my cat I'm sorry guys he just woke um, up but it's not uh, what was I saying that uh Oh gosh, where did that thought go? I picked it up somewhere. This guy distracted you. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I think I'm just hopeful. Like I think that there's just so much, as you said, we're part of a revolution and I'm excited because yes. there's change afoot. Me too. You know, and it's we're not going to go back. You feel it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, it's people like, like uh, I feel like former president Obama said, mm-hmm. 
yeah i mean he was also like i saw his speech in the um town hall um meeting or whatever it was and he's just like you know keep the momentum going it's, yeah. it's all about the young people it keeps everybody keeps saying like the young people are who you know the people that are going to make that difference it's just the young people so yeah that momentum keep it going and i i see a much better future for us yeah i just love that somebody like you that has witnessed um you know a lot a lot worse than most people have still have hope so I feel like if somebody like you can have hope, we should all be having hope. And that it is an exciting yes. time of change, <laughs> but not to rec not to be defeated by it. Do you know? Like, I think that there's yeah, absolutely. Um, a level that I think we sometimes have to go to bed for two days and cry. But then on the third day, you got to get mm -hmm. up. You know, like we can. And then on, on the fourth day, you're back to, you know, just cheering, cheering everything on. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. What do you do Very that's silly? What's your what's the silly side of you? Silly side of me, um, I I'm obsessed with my cats, so I chase them around at night. And this this guy's very naughty, and you know I'm like I'm holding a string and I'm chasing him around all over the house. Um, silly. What else do I do that's silly? I mean, you um, have to do something that gives you a break from this kind of intensity. I think most of the things I do in my life are silly. Okay. You, have, you can't right. you can't take yourself seriously. <laughs> I mean, okay, all right. I mean, outside of social media, outside <laughs> of my work, outside of that, like everything in the house is just like when I'm when I'm here with my family or friends or cats or I just let loose. Yeah. I am not this, you know. I just yeah. I I never really care about how I look or how I'm dressed or it just that's the last thing on my mind I mean I dress decent when I come on the other day I went live and I was wearing my, my pajamas and my mom's like you cannot come on live with your pajamas I'm like why not yeah yeah <laughs> she made me change out of them it upset me a little bit because I'm like I feel like wearing my pajamas right now she's like you're going live like there's certain limits like you <laughs> Can't yeah, that's when like the mom and the manager mom crossover. I think my mom would do the same thing. She'd be like, just put a like touch not, of lipstick. Yeah. I know you're going to yeah. protest, but just put a touch of lipstick on. Yeah. That's moms. Yeah. They're very so, cute that way. So in order to shut down, you said you go into your backyard sometimes. Do you ever do you do like are you are you into meditation? Do you do yoga? Are you binge watching like really bad reality TV? What do you do to shut down so that you can recharge? I can't stand reality TV. I think it's the worst thing that that happened to our generation. Um, I I've lost some friends over reality TV. Okay, <laughs> they just became I mean, like those people. I'm like I can't. Yeah, I'm half and half. There's some reality TV that I love for the human behavior quality of it, like Amazing Race. I really love. Like, sir yeah okay those ones yeah. yeah those reality tv i love like um survivor that that wasn't even my that's not what i was thinking when you said reality tv because there's a lot of like yeah you're thinking like you know reality tv for girls that are yeah mm -hmm. that's not those ones either. i'm completely against yeah but what but uh, amazing race is amazing um survivor like there's there's some that yeah are are very good if you look at it that way um and in terms of those kinds of reality tv i i, I like them i haven't really gotten into them um but i like a lot of uh a lot of tv shows like just really good shows feel good shows yeah like the gilmore girls yeah. um I, I grew up watching that uh and then there's all these other um shows i just watched rectify 
and I love the southern accent like I'm obsessed okay. with the way they talk so yeah I watched Rectify it was really good it was about a guy who was in, um in prison imprisoned and uh I think they he was in death row and then there's um what else did I watch recently there's a couple of shows that I've I've watched I can't really remember their names I feel like you're one of those people uh, that take a break by reading like a textbook on philosophy like (laughs) look at my textbook right now right beside me I'm obsessed I'm like gonna go in my backyard and read this the rest of this um today yesterday I took a break from everything I went live and I was like okay I need a break I went outside I took this book and I just like suntanned got that vitamin d read this book um it's called sapiens of yeah. course it's called sapiens it's human behavior it's like a, a brief history of humankind yeah. uh by yuval noah harari and of course it's been hailed as a amazing book by president barack obama and uh, bill gates and um washington post why am i advertising sapiens no, Anyways, just some like light my reading. point is, is that just some light reading, but <laughs> I love that it's confirmed so much of my thinking towards humans and human yeah. behavior. So much. Like it just like keeps what? confirming everything that was in my head. <laughs> like what did it confirm? Um, obviously it's talking about, you know, the, the homo erectus, different, different types of humans, uh, the different um, species of humans in the past. It discusses all of that and then how homo, homo sapiens came about and how they ended up being the powerful ones of, to the point where now it's just like homo sapiens, one species of human on this planet. And then um, just the behavior of homo sapiens and what we've evolved into uh, in terms of um, the the most interesting part was like, the thing that made us different from the rest of the animals uh, in this world is our our ability to take sounds and turn them into uh, like sentences, unlimited number of sentences mm-hmm. and words. And so that communication also our the imagination of the Homo sapien was another um, thing that h- helped us advance by getting people to trust each other by having this the same beliefs in terms of religion or culture, um, you know, borders, like having that community, like if I could trust you because we are from the same community in terms of like our religion, for example, that uh, helped us advance because if you study uh, animals in their um, natural habitat, there's never more than, and, and it compares us a lot to our, our cousins, the chimpanzees, and how the chimpanzees are never able to group more than 50, 50 of them, like, you know, 20 to 50 of them because of that lack of trust, but with other tribes. But the reason that humans have been able to get past that and um, govern, let's say like a country or a, a political group can govern like millions of people is because, or millions of people can be together in one one place and and have that trust is because they have a common um, belief or a common ideology or common whatever and that how allows them to trust each other and move forward and it's like very complicated to explain properly but it's so interesting you're talking about safety right and there's safety familiarity exactly yeah and i mean as as we move forward in this world it's I feel like my job as a human to provide 
safety for people, safety for my family, safety for my community, safety for people that might look and have different voices than me. I want that safe zone for folks. And that's my journey. I exactly. Yeah. 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 That trust and that safety and that, you know, um, the, the, the trust that we have in each other is what's advanced. That was um, advanced the human or homo sapien population, homo sapiens population. Yeah. It's so interesting. I find like, I mean, you must be reading this. So just like processing it right now for you in that book. So you're sort of like speaking what you're learning. Do you, do you find that there's a level yeah. of like time where you're like, I just need some time to digest this book before I start speaking about it? Yes. Like as in right now, I felt like well, I was no, not ready to speak I, about it. I really appreciate it because I think that we're all right where you are right now a little bit. Like we're all not ready to speak about this, but we have to. So we're all sort of like yeah. little, like little baby deers with new legs on the ice, like figuring their way out, <laughs> do you know, and, and falling all the time and then getting back up and trying again. And hopefully like we'll have a empathetic and compassionate, compassionate community that allows us to move forward with mistakes and figuring things out because it's exciting too. Yeah, I, I feel like we're never going to be ready for anything. Yeah. Like, you know, people are like, well, I'm not ready yet to have a baby. But when are you ever going to be ready? You're never going to be perfectly ready. Or I'm not ready to do certain things. But like, that's the thing. Like, you, you're never going to be ready. So you might as well just do it when you have to do it. But the intention is good as long as the intentions are there. Yeah. And as long as you mean well and you want, you know, the, the best. for I, in, in terms of like Black Lives Matter, um, Ellen DeGeneres, I love her so much. She's like, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone by like maybe not be being ready or lacking, lacking enough information. And so then they were like, no, it's just, it's just about you being able to like, just be there, just speak, just be there. And you know, you, you, your intentions are good and that's good enough. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny because that's interesting you say that because I'm like watching myself during this discussion with you going, oh, well, that was stupid, Sneakus. Oh, well, that, you didn't say that intelligently. <gasps> like, <it>. come on, <laughs> get it together. So I'm like, I'm like censoring myself, but also judging myself through this whole thing as I <laughs> bumble my way because I feel like my <laughs> level of education and awareness is sub to you because of your experience, you know, it just, it's just the way we are, but it's a matter of like, I'm going to stumble my way through it. I, I, you know what I mean? I'm going to, yeah, but, but I could feel the same way about you in another subject or something. Right. And that's when you just, it's okay to just learn that from somebody else because of the experience that they had in that field or in that, in, right. with, with that subject. So it, that's how we learn. It's just, but if we, when I was younger, I was so insecure, so shy, never able to like, I, I know that I've stood up for myself, but still I was always insecure about like, like, um, about speaking up because I'm like, what if I say the wrong thing? Yeah. And I was a teenager. Of course, once I became a teenager, I became a lot more sensitive to these things and a lot more insecure. And then I realized looking back, I'm like, oh, I should have said something because I was right, you know, and yeah. I didn't say anything in so many cases. And so at, after that point, I realized you should never stay quiet. 
worst, worst case, you're like, oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> Just shrug your shoulders and move on. But if you don't say something, then if you were right, and if you know those people needed to hear what you had to say, then that's going to be gone and you'll never get it back. I like that so much. I, I, I'm learning to be good with my flaws and my mistakes. Yeah. And flaws is a good thing. We'd be very boring if we didn't come with flaws. Yeah. Yeah. What's the thing that you're Perfection working on? Perfection is boring. If you're, if, because my vision of you is that you got it all going on. You got this great music career. You got an acting career. You've got like your activism is just <laughs> supported and strong. What's the thing that you're like, I got to do this more? Um, well, I, I think I, I want to, I, I just want to do something for myself. Yeah. I know this feels like this sounds really no, selfish. Not at a little all. Wild. I love hearing you say like, that. Sometimes I crave a regular job. I really crave it. I like what? Working I would at like love Starbucks. to have a schedule like a boss. Yeah, yeah anything. Oh, you'd be I so just, miserable. A boss. I want to be. I don't know. I want to try it out. What would you do? What, um, kind of, what kind of nine to five job would you do? That's the thing. I don't know. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not qualified to even be a cashier at Safeway. Like what? Wow. You know, so just, that's... I'm not qualified for anything now that I want. If I ever wanted a job, like what am I qualified for? What is yeah. my resume going to look like? <laughs> what do you, do you like have like blue sky dreams of working in an office in a cubicle? Well, I did. I actually worked in a cubicle. I, I got the job because I was craving. Yeah, it was 2016. I was like, I'm done. I'm going to go get a job because all my friends have jobs and I love it. Like they, you know, they have all these. Um, yeah. And, and I, I wanted to be one of them because they're like at work. My coworker did this and like, I can't talk about any of this stuff. So I went and applied for a job and it was so funny because like my people started to find out what I did. And they came up to me and my supervisor comes, sits next to me. He's like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? Is this a joke for you? Is this some kind of like, um, what, what do they call it? Some kind of like, um, I, I forgot what he said, but um, almost like a project. <laughs> like, okay. no. And so they were accusing me of all kinds of things. He's like, I know what you do. I know who you are. And I'm like, so what does that have to do with anything? He's like, but I don't understand why you're here working here. And so it's just, it was weird. But did you, you like know? that and, job? and so I lied in my resume. Yes, I did. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love, I love I these did. people love that like, normal. the people dream of the lifestyle that you have. And then you're like, I just want to work in a cubicle. <laughs> oh, the dream of a lifetime. <laughs> I loved it so much. I made friends. Like I made probably lifelong friends there. Yeah. Um and I learned so much and just being around a community, it's lonely. Mm-hmm. Doing what mm-hmm. I do is very lonely. Nobody sees that part of it. Yeah. I, I there's no community. There's no gatherings. I don't get invited to office Christmas parties. Like <laughs> I, I did that time, you know, because I was working. But um yeah. there's it's just a yeah sometimes it could get pretty lonely and it sometimes you need a change yeah it's community I think that's so key for me like community is so much 
it means so much to me. And I think you're yeah. right. Your life is pretty isolated. Your, your colleagues are your parents. Very. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, absolutely. So I, when I did work, I, I lasted six months. I loved it so much, but people needed me again. They're like, where are you? We need you to speak up about this because you got the platform and you're being selfish because you got this platform, but you're being quiet. And I'm like, okay, clearly. And then of course, concert tours, just nonstop calling for concert tours. Like, where is she? Why is she around? And my, my mom's just losing her mind. She's like, everyone's calling all these promoters are calling for concert tours. And then I took a vacation time out of my work and that was done. And then there's more. And I'm like, well, can I take more time? They're like, no. I'm like, oh shoot. Okay. I quit. You know, just, I'll just like give my resignation and, and walk away. But I really didn't want to. Yeah. You can't yeah. do both. That's definitely what a pull. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think that's such, I think it's so funny that, you know, some people dream of having like music tours. Like it's just such a, a fantastic dichotomy. <laughs> it's not fun. And, and when you said like, I want to do something for myself, like I'm thinking, you know, like something like, you know, creative or like something, but you're like, no, I just want an office job for myself. I want a job. I want the cubicle. I want the boss. Like I want a schedule. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You're, you've made a bed that's very creative and exciting, but I'm sure it can be taxing and it'd be nice to leave somebody else in charge for a while. Yeah. It would, it would be nice to be careless about something for once, but you can't. I'm, the, the way I'm wired, the way I guess I was born, the way that I've um, lived my life, I can't because it's, there's too much in me. Like I can't be careless. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I can't turn a blind eye to something no. to, you know, injustice. I can't turn my face away from something that's happening where people are being hurt. I don't um, even think you could do it if you were in a cubicle. Is. You'd be like, who, who didn't replace the coffee? And then you'd have to be, yeah. <laughs> you'd start a protest. Oh, you'd, you'd find something over there of injustice. You'd be back where you started. Well, the thing is, like, when I was at that job, um, I realized that some, some of the people in the higher position, the bigger positions, um, powerful positions, were taking advantage of some of the girls who were vulnerable, who had moved here from another country who they knew that these girls were desperate for that job and they were trying to do it. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm ready to start the revolution right here. You know? And I'm like, what am I doing? No. So like everywhere you go. I think you bring your revolution wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. I have to wrap it up. I hate to, because I could talk to you all day and this has just been Me lovely. too. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a couple yeah, of questions that are a little bit shorter answers so that uh, we can wrap it up that mm -hmm. way. There's no, I call them rapid fire, okay. but they're neither rapid or no nice. fire is involved. Um, what do you want okay. to be best, what do you want to be best known for? Oh, I, this, is, this is not an easy answer. I don't know. Um, just caring. I guess caring for, that's yeah. it. I don't, well, just so you know, these questions can't, you can't be wrong. Like they're all your, okay. your words. So, yeah. But so far okay. you've gotten 80, you've got it all right. It's a hundred percent right. Um, what are two words okay. to describe your present state of mind? Present state of mind. Oh, super optimistic. <laughs> I like it. 
I like it. Uh, if your life was a movie, what do you think has been the, the turning point, the climactic moment of your life so far that has changed everything forever? Okay, so when, when my, my mom's uh, friend told me, don't wait until you're 60, because she, on her 60th birthday, said happy birthday. She's like, I was fairly young that time. She said, don't wait, don't wait until you're 60 to take care of yourself and put yourself first. That was definitely a turning point for me. Yeah. Get that mm -hmm. office cubicle job before you're 60. <laughs> uh, what's something that people yeah. don't know about you? Oh, they know a lot. They know too much about <laughs> me. Uh, what don't they know about me? Uh, I'm very, like, very goofy. Yeah. I actually can, I can imagine. I think you'd be fun to do, like, improv with. I think <laughs> you, you should take an improv class. Maybe. Yeah. I think um, I should. <laughs> what's been what's been the best mistake you've ever made? I feel like all mistakes I made were the best mistakes <laughs> I ever made. So the best mistake I ever made was I got engaged to this uh, this guy. This is too much information. <laughs> I got engaged to this guy um, who pretty much like restricted me from a lot of things. And then I once I released myself from that, I was like. I am free and now I'm going to conquer the world. And that's exactly what I did. I was, I was pretty young that time. I had not gotten into music or anything like that. So it helped me. It really boosted my career. Yeah. I, I was grateful that. that happened to me. I know. That's why <laughs> I don't know about, we should have a different word for the word mistakes because they're not really mistakes. Hmm. You're like some sort of learning experience. I, I call them learning experiences, life experiences. Yeah. I like it. When you need to regroup, what do we do? What do you do? Read a book. <laughs> just a simple textbook. Read a yeah. Just a yep. simple light textbook that takes up more than half of your purse. I get it. Uh, <laughs> yes. What's something that you haven't done yet that you know you have to do in your lifetime? I want to retire in Italy, but I want to go to Italy because I'm obsessed with that country. That's one thing that I have to do. And I keep saying I have to do it, but I haven't done it yet. Eat the pizza. Like, I, I just want Italian food inside Italy. That's, yes. I'm a foodie. Oh, so good. <laughs> Is there anything that scares you? Mm, yes. There's a type of insect that scares me, <laughs> but I don't want to say it because I don't want people to know because then they might, like, you yep, know, try fair. to scare me with, with that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, what yeah. advice would you have given your younger self? I think the advice, I, I can't even, you know, I think about the advice I would have given my younger self, but my dad gave me all of that advice when I was like 16. Like I had all the advice that I could have given to my younger self. But yeah. again, I think probably just speak up more, if anything. Yeah. Speak my mind more. Uh, it is such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. And, and you yourself, like, thank you for, um, you know, having me on your podcast. And honestly, you're one of the best interviews I've ever had because you got me to say things that I've never said in any other um, interview. So this was definitely refreshing for me. And I was able to even, I think I learned some things about myself during this interview. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> that's so sweet. I mean, these talks are so like, they're such master classes for me. You were going to say something. No, I was going to say like, well, you can, um, you know, for, for people who want to know more about me, um, I have a book called The Voice of Rebellion. And, uh, yeah. It's a biography written about me. So that's all. <laughs> yeah. Just a little book. If anyone wants podcast. it, you know, it's, it's on amazon.com. <laughs> I love it. All right. 
Be well. Be Have safe. a great day. I mean, just <laughs> speechless. I'm left speechless from my discussion with Mojda. Uh, I felt like I was in the presence of someone and something truly moving, truly motivated, to the point that, you know, I wanted to run into the streets to make sure everyone knows her name at this point and make sure that they're aware of what she's bringing into the world because it's so inspiring. Her story, her voice, her presence, just all of it made me absolutely I don't know, glow. I glowed with firecracker pride that she had time for us. And I'm just simply elated with what we can all learn from each other. Uh, yeah, what a lesson and a half. Sharing these conversations are so important to me. And right now, you can actually see Mojda. You've now heard her. Now you can see her in the film Red Snow on Apple TV. You have to follow her because she has a great approach to everything that she does. She has such great purpose, but she also does it with a sense of humor and artistry and everything. Go follow her, Mojda, M-O-Z-H-D-A-H, or on Instagram at official Mojda, M-O-Z-H-D-A-H. And if you want to hear more from her, and I know you do, go check out her podcast, Girls of Wisdom. She's just fantastic. It's a podcast she does with Sophia Nader, and they do a journey through the Eastern and Western landscape of culture, society, religion, and more. I really encourage you to go check it out. Don't, don't forget her recently released biography, Voice of Rebellion, written by Robert Staley, is out now, and it talks even more in depth about what we've covered in this episode, performing for the Obamas, her talk show, her death threats, setting her father's protest poem to music, and just so much more of her spectacular story. Let us know what you thought about this fantastic new Firecracker episode and follow us over on Instagram, FirecrackerDEPT, or the same handle in Twitter just to make it easy for you, FirecrackerDEPT. Tell us what you got jazzed about, what made you laugh, what made you think, what made your heart sing, what made your heart break. I want to hear all about it. If you love the podcast, let us know. It helps build our community one person at a time. And I certainly love that you joined us today. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the Firecracker Department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the Firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations and connections happen. Uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect and it's always really fun we drink coffee we often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes and that's the way it rolls we always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively monthly we host a script department reading series a wellness department meditation live spark chats on instagram with past podcast guests and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, 
ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up. Ginormous! Everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too, so thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you, yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen, because we know there's a lot of options out there, and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Boop, boop, boop.